Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Living stones built in the temple, your holy priesthood in it. So if you think of this story, the treasure is the endless riches of Christ himself. And the field is you, the clay pot that carries the treasure. Remember he said, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit, God, they're all in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Tells us in John 17, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. I want you to be in us. This treasure is in you, Holy Spirit, indwelt in the clay pot. You are the field. Once you, in your excitement, realize that treasure I'll sell everything I got. I'll, I'll, I'll forsake it all because he's it. I got to get, I got to get, I got to buy it. What you're really doing is buying the treasure for yourself. And so once we start to get the concept of what this is, we'll realize that the suffering, the pain that goes along with all of the life is part of the treasure that you are incorporating in your treasury in heaven. Don't you store up treasures on earth, he says, store it up in heaven. When you start to put all these concepts, precept upon precept, you start to realize, and it starts to shift this whole concept of suffering and pain and agony. I'm going to try to, the more I dig this thing and the more I read these about some of these stories of people that have been through some things, that is the pure gold. Remember he said in, to the church, the lukewarm church, he said that in uh, Revelation chapter 3, the Laodicean church, you're not hot or cold, I want to spit you out. And then he goes on, he, goes, he says, you think, this, this church, he says, you think you're rich, you think you can see, you think you have everything you need, but you're really wretched, blind, and poor, I suggest you buy purified gold from me. Well, how does, I asked this question the first night, how do you buy purified gold from God? You don't have enough money for that. But let's look at that. Turn with me to Revelation. Some of you are looking a little strange at me. Turn to Revelation. All right. I know I'm giving you a lot of Scripture, but a lot of this is, we've been over this route, so let's go over it again. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, you're lukewarm. He says in verse 16, since you're lukewarm and you're not hot or cold, are you really, you kind of make me sick, right? Uh, that's an interesting, I, I would think he would want us to be really hot, but he says, I'd rather even be cold. That, I don't understand that statement, but maybe because you're lukewarm, you think you're okay. And so when you think you're okay, you realize you get complacent, and that's the worst place to be. So then he goes on, he says, you don't realize that you're really wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. You're naked, and I advise you to buy gold from me that has been refined or purified by fire. I believe the treasure being Jesus in your field, your clay pot, is the purified gold of the circumstances. Remember, you've been refined as you, and we're going to show you some scriptures, as you go through the life of tribulation, pain, and suffering, and you do not give up in the storm of your life, even though I don't understand maybe what you're doing, I hold on to you. 
that purification of that goal, that purity of that faith, that faith walk is being purified. It's being, you'll see, it says, count it all joy, brethren, when you go through trials and tribulation. Peter says, why are you surprised by the fiery trials that you're going through? Let's turn to that scripture. Turn with me to um, second, uh, 1 Peter 2. No, I'm sorry, let me get that one up. It might be a little different. I've got several scriptures. Let's pull out First uh, Peter 4. In First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12 and 13. He says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. Any of you surprised sometimes when you're going through some stuff? I'm like, like, I don't like this. How did this happen? Everything was like going so great. And all of a sudden, what in the world? I've had it described to me that our life as a believer is really two railroad tracks. One that's got all these amazing blessings and the other is all these horrible trials. How can they be going down the same track at the same time? Because he designs it that way sometimes for us. Remember the story of the executive decision for Job? All right. So, dear friends, verse 12, 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Fiery trials, be very glad. I'm sorry. (laughs) For these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to the whole world. Now, you just got to stop and unpack this. You're going through a fiery trial. You should be so excited because, very glad, because now you're partnered with Christ. And when it's revealed, when His glory is revealed to the whole world, there's going to be a wonderful joy associated with it. What if your purified gold of all your trials and tribulations of faith walk you did with Him while you were going through this, and you kept your faith? Remember one night, the other night we said, faith is the currency of heaven. You get to that place, and you didn't necessarily even know you had purified gold with you. They look like scars. They look like the battles that we've been through. Jesus has got them. Remember when he showed himself to Thomas? Come here, Thomas. He didn't need to see any more. He fell to his face and said, my God and my Lord. What? Yes. Give him the glory. It's like in that pain and suffering, let, let me ask, that, yes, and here's why. Um, would you all agree that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had been brutally beaten to the point where he was not even recognizable? Remember that? And so, we know in his physical frame, the reason he cried in the garden before it ever went down and asked his father to release him from this And he said, nevertheless, your will be done. He asked the Father three times, right? But on that point in his last breaths where his human body is dying, and he knows it, he's been been poured out, 
He says, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, this morning, my wife asked me a really interesting question, um, which I believe the Holy Spirit gave me at least an answer, and it was very, um, I've, I've meditated on it for a while today. She got up early. Um, she was having some pain in, in, in part of her body, and she got up, and she was just praying and saying, she was quoting the Scriptures, by your stripes I've been healed, right? First Peter 2, 4. And, uh, but then the Lord gave her a picture with, and a question came in her mind, why did you have to go through what you went through? Why did it have to be so torturous? So I, I got up and I, got, I came out. She's sitting there says, basically it was a Pastor Tom question, right? Tom, why did Jesus have to be so brutally beaten? Why? Why? This doesn't settle with me now. Why? And I said, well, Holy Spirit, James 1, 5 says, if I lack wisdom, let me ask you. And I got this download. Do you remember all the pagan gods that, that are listed in this word, right? We, we, Molech. Remember, they sacrificed their, their, their children to Molech, right? Um, Baal, Baal worshipers. Uh, Dagon, right? And more and more. And it goes on, it says in the Testament, it says, the demon gods that the people worshipped, be careful of them. So we know they're demons. Even if you go to tribal cultures and you find out in there they do, they do sacrifices of children, they sacrifice animals. If you go to any of the witch places that we've been in where all the voodoo practices or um, Makumba, all of the San La Muerte, the cults of death, you go there or you go to the places where the Hindu gods are when we've been there in India where they sacrifice all these animals. They shed the blood and they cause, or they sacrifice humans, right? The satanic cults sacrifice humans. I can't share some of the places I've been, but I have absolute testimony of babies that have been, quote, aborted that have actually been murdered by cults. And so, when you step back and you say, those gods required human sacrifice to satisfy, quote, the fulfillment of that God's desire. And that just, it just turns our stomach when we think about it. He says, you sacrificed your children. You put them into the fire of Molech. And now you step back and say, God wanted to defile those demon gods in such a way. He says, you've tried to enslave people by human sacrifice, child sacrifice, human blood, demanding worship, and enslaving people. Well, guess what? I'm going to defile you in such a way that I, me, God, will present myself for you in the most horrible of all conditions so that you are so defiled and you are so defeated. I will love them. I will become a slave for them. And so, remember, turn with me to, turn with the, the Scriptures came, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we know that, that when he gave himself, and that's one of the things we're supposed to do. In Philippians chapter 2, in beginning in verse 6, in Philippians 2, 6, he says this, though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of it equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he didn't give up his deity, but
but he gave up his divine privileges, the throne room experience, power. He gave all that up and said, I will come down as God in a human form, but I'll give up my divine power rights, and I will model and demonstrate what it's like for a human being filled with God the Holy Spirit, and I will give myself. And here's what he says. I didn't think of myself as equality. Instead, I gave up my divine privileges, and I took a humble position as a slave. Born as a human being, when he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him a name that is above every name, that that name, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So for me, it was like, I hate the fact that our Savior had to go through that, but when I think of what He did for us and how He defiled, once you get a picture, this, this helps me. Remember last week, um, and I even covered this Sunday morning, when we looked at the study of Job, and we said, remember, go to your handout there on the second page, there were a number of questions, right? Question number two, on page number two of the handout from the first night, the cost of the kingdom, it says, why did the Lord allow Satan to systematically strip righteous Job of everything, wealth, possessions, children, servants, health, reputation, only his life and integrity? The picture I get is, remember the eternal picture, right? Sometimes we look at Job's life, and he lost everything in this picture of this small little picture of his life. And we see that God says, devil, you rebelled against me. You tried to get yourself to be God. I've got servants who love me so much that if you strip them of everything, even their health, their family, you strip them, they will still love me and never curse me. You would never do, say, says, oh, yeah, watch this. You protect him. That's why he's got all his goods. Let me take his goods. So the first interaction is takes all his goods, his children, all his possession, his servants, and the devil loses, loses that battle. Then he says, well, yeah, strip his health. So then he's sitting there and boils, and even his closest confidant, his soul tie, his soul connection, right, soulmate says, he better die, Dave, uh, Joel. This is just like too bad for me. Just curse God and have it over with. And he says, you know, even if he slay me, yet will I not reject him. Amen. Wow. What an integrity. What a man of integrity. He loved God so much. And then the whole battleground of those 42 chapters of people coming and telling him he must have been a sinner. And what would you do, Job? And, you know, you got all these open doors. That's why they were all wrong. Then Job questioned God about what is God doing? And then he, God comes back and questions, Job, were you here when I set the seas in place? Were you here when I made the horse? Were you here? No, no, no. Okay. He surrenders and says, you're God. I'm done trying to play God. I'm trying to figure this. I just, and he says, okay, now go pray for your friends who were not there for you. And when you pray for them, I'll bless them. And then we know the rest of the story. But I want us to see that God used Job to punish Satan in a way that says, you 
are such a loser, Satan. You had everything you wanted. You were the cherubim of all things. You were the king of all worship in my heaven. And you rejected me, and you led a one-third of all my angelic beings against me in war. You tore my kingdom apart. Let me show you what happens with a man or a woman who loves me. And then Satan went away after that. It's like, once we get an understanding of the revelation of some of the purified gold we're going through in life, and they become the gold that we didn't even know we were necessarily carrying. We see them as scars and brokenheartedness. And God says, you stayed faithful to me, just like Job. Come, inherit my kingdom, and reserved for the glory. Now, when you look at the Scriptures, this was surprising to me that so many of the Scriptures, in fact, there's at least 18 of them, that every time you talk about suffering, you talk about glory. <laughs> and it, I'll just give you a couple here. Let's turn to, uh, yeah, it was 18 times in the New Testament, suffering and joy go together. Let's turn to, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 5 for a minute first. In Romans 5, let's look at... Um, Well, let's just begin in verse 1 and go down a few verses. Therefore, this is this amazing Scripture of how many times we're declared to be the righteousness of God because of your faith. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 just loaded up with declared you righteous because of what you believe in Christ. Therefore, verse 1, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. So we've been declared right and we have peace. Because of our faith in Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I love that. Undeserved privilege. King James says it this way, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory. This undeserved privilege. Okay. He goes on, that you stand confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. So I hope you all have this expectation of sharing God's glory. I, I sure hope you have that. And then it goes on and says, verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Here we go again. What's wrong with this? I'm supposed to rejoice in my trials and tribulations, be exceedingly glad, right? We know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops a strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Amen. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. And he goes on, when we were utterly helpless, this is that recognition of, I am so weak. These are the clay pots, right? The, we carry this treasure in the fragile clay jars, Paul tells us in Corinthians. He goes, when we were utterly helpless. You ever been there <laughs> feeling utterly helpless? Christ came at just the right time, died for us as sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Even someone might perhaps be willing to die 
for somebody that was especially good, but God showed up with His great love for us, sending His Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation since we are friendship with God has been restored. So we see, um, again, joy and suffering go hand in hand. Let's look at another one. Um, well, I, I read that one in First Peter 4, right? Fiery trials, be very glad. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 34, 18. It brings us closer. We've probably all experienced that, that when we're in a really tough place. Psalm 34, let's look at verse 18. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. The Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. King James says it this way, The Lord is near to those that are brokenhearted and saveth such as that are of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So we know when we cry out to God in our really desperate place, He's close. Let me, this will probably be a, easy to relate to. Many of you who have children or at least a brother, sister, someone, a family member, and that family person or a child comes under great affliction, a sickness. Think of a, a parent whose child is, is very, very sick, near death. Where is that parent's heart. It, it's, it's this place where, and that's the same condition, when we're in covenant relationship with God, we are His child. And so, to think that, well, God's up there and, you know, He doesn't even know what's… No, He's in the fight with us. He's there in the midst of that struggle and trial. He feels what we feel. We know that Jesus cried over Jerusalem, right? He felt compassion for the people when Lazarus was dead in the tomb. He, he said, He's just strong compassion. When he saw the sick, he had compassion for them. And so, Jesus is, is there. The Father is there with us in all the suffering. And in fact, as we're drawing close to him, he's drawing close to us, right? If you'll humble yourself and draw close, James 4 tells us, he will draw close to you. Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee. How about this one? Let's turn to one of my favorite scriptures at the end of the book. Turn to Revelation 21, verse 4. If this one doesn't get your hope button tuned up, you, you need to get new batteries. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne says, look, I'm making everything new. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
there is this place that's coming in that place of the kingdom heaven that we've talked about, the third heaven or the glorious realm or kingdom we shared on the first night, the kingdom or the realm of God. There is a place where there is no more tears and no more suffering and there is no more pain. So why does suffering and joy seem to go together? They are the bookends that we have been challenged asking questions, God, aren't, how can this be good? Are you good? Are you really good, God? Why have you abandoned me? You read David's Psalms? Man, read through um, some of David's Psalms where he's crying out, I'm a, I feel abandoned. I was so hopeless. I was studying Psalm 18, and I, that would one I'd encourage you maybe to look at this week. David was in, being pursued by Saul and his army. And David and some of his men are in the desert and they're on the top of a rock and they're surrounded by Saul's army. That's not a good place. Have you ever been in Israel when we've been there and you get into the, out by the, down by the Dead Sea and up or up by Masada and man, whew, you wouldn't want to be out there for very long without some water and stuff. And here surrounded, and you read Psalm 18, God miraculously delivers David. Sounds like there's an earthquake. He go, you just, it's an incredible story um, that you can unpack. But David goes from, I am totally surrounded and helpless. We're about to get annihilated, and God shows up. And you read through that Psalm. But David went through many desperate things to become proven as to become the king. He's anointed, and it's 25 years later he becomes king. But all of that stuff, I think, I think one time I counted, I can't remember exactly, Saul tried to kill David so many times, right? Searching him out, hunting for him, throwing spears at him. Um, and you know how David responded, where he never, he had opportunity to kill Saul, he didn't. He says, how can I touch God's anointed? God put him in place. It's far be it from me, a man, even though he's hunting me. We might justify that somehow in the natural, but David chose the high road, and God took care of that. So let me, let me go back to questions that are on that page too. Hopefully this sheds some light on this now. Why does a loving, righteous, all-powerful God allow the righteous to suffer? Well, I think we would fill in these scriptures. It says, we count it all joy because they actually become the crowns of the purified gold that we present to him on that day when we either meet him or he comes down to meet us. Through it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we started the night. Mom had a, 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 a hymn that she shared from Andre Crouch, which I read which uh, went through, it's called Through It All. And uh, he was a PTL worship leader, an awesome worshiper, and he wrote that song, Through It All. So here we see that this loving, righteous, all-powerful God, he's the Father who's walking through this. He sees our character. He sees our, our doubts and our fears, and he continues to work with us because he knows that the the purifying of your faith works that patience, and it endures your character. 
And he doesn't want a bunch of little two-year-olds in the kingdom running the universe. He's working on us. So he has mature sons and daughters who he can entrust to rule and reign with him, who've worked out all their... He doesn't want another Lucifer in the mix. And so... This question, I think, becomes more clear. Why did God allow, number two, why did he allow Satan to do that? Well, I believe he was trying to punish Satan and let him know that, you know what? I got all eternity to make it right with Job and his kids and all of that. There's not much story about his wife after that. (laughs) I wonder how that worked out with her. Um, She must have learned some things too. Where's the kingdom and what is the kingdom? The kingdom, we've been transferred into it. The kingdom in his hand is at hand. The kingdom is, remember in Romans, was it 14, 17? Defines the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You're in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom is in this clay vessel. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, that is like, Lord, with all my stuff still that I'm, yeah, but as you choose me, um, that kingdom, he said, it's, it's at hand. He even told the Pharisee, you're not far from the kingdom. <laughs> Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've answered well. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're not far, Pharisee, from the kingdom because the kingdom is at hand. So, it's here. It's, it's available. How do you become a citizen? Surrender get transferred into the book of life by surrender. I accept you. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That declaration transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, can number five, um, can we negotiate the price of the kingdom? Is it the same price for everyone? It's all, remember, it's going to, it said there that you've got to give all. But it turned, I tried to cover this in the sermon on Sunday. Take a look at the sermon outline, and I'll just try to hit this one quickly. Um, If you look at that, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I, I shared two of the stories there. You remember in the rich young ruler, remember? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to receive eternal life? What an amazing, important question that everybody better ask, right? He says, well, um, what must I do? He says, well, keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the moral law. Love your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet, right? Don't do murder. He goes, I've done all those things. And Jesus had this, it says he had this love for this young man, the young ruler, he says, but there's still one thing you lack. Sell everything and follow me. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the young man was unable to do that. He came asking the question, what could I do, number two there, and he went away saying what he was not willing to do. But then we looked at this, uh, drop down to number five there, the price of the seal, of the, of the field is the price for, of all but what is it for all? And then we said in number six, consider Zacchaeus. And let me just summarize that. I won't preach the sermon again. But Zacchaeus was the tax collector, right? 
He was a hated tax collector. He was a real crook. He was a swamp creature, that guy. He's working for Rome, and he's yet he's, he's bilking the Jews. And Jesus sees him in the tree, says, come down, I'm coming to your house today. Well, the, the religious folks get all uptight that Jesus is having dinner and drinking with a notorious sinner. So, you know, the gossip roots going, why does he go, why does your master eat with the sinners? You know, notorious ones. And they don't answer. But Jesus, in that interchange in in, uh, Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus says, he realizes he's a sinner. And he says, I'm going to give half of my wealth. He says he's very rich. I don't know what very is, but that sounds like very. And so he says, I'm going to give half my wealth away to the poor. And everybody I've shortchanged and stolen from, I'm going to pay them back four times more. And Jesus turns to him and says, salvation has come to this house today. This is a true son of Abraham. Now it's like, no, this is a notorious sinner that everybody hates his guts. And you just, how dare you go in his kid? And this conversion happens. Jesus says, this is a true son of Abraham. And can you imagine now, Zacchaeus is all, this is my supposition, Zacchaeus is all was different than the the young ruler. The young ruler, his God was his wealth. He says, you got to sacrifice that God and follow me. Zacchaeus' God was the, the lack of honesty, his it wasn't about his wealth. He wasn't so tied to his wealth. It was his dishonest practices to get it. And so his all was, give half of it away. And you follow me now, Zacchaeus. And go to everybody that you've stolen from and give them four times. I don't know how many people that was, but I imagine it was a lot. And can you imagine the testimony of this notorious sinner going over and said, Marion... You know when you filled out your taxes in 2019 and I got you double, I got you four times? Man, that was wrong of me. Here, here's four times what I stole from you. Now, Marion's going to go home and say, something happened to that dude. What's that dude? Oh, he had dinner with Jesus. He's the one who had dinner with Jesus. He's different. Now, when he comes to to uh, the next year to get taxes, right, he comes and says, your taxes? Um, yeah, this is the right amount, Patsy. You don't need to give me any more. That's the right amount. What happens? The testimony of that impact that now went, that was the purification process of his all. He turned from his sin, made it right in restitution. That was enough for this true son of Abraham. I want you to see it's not about sell everything and, you know, there's something about what is my all. It really comes down to the heart. And Jesus knows the heart. He always knows the heart. That's why it's all, but your all and my all, it, it may be a little different. The way you get your purified gold that's going to come in to heaven is all of your trials, your tribulations that you're going through, mamas, papa, the things that have happened to you that were unfair, they, were, they, they could have broken anyone else, but you picked yourself up in the midst of it and says, I love you anyway, God. Because those are my kids. That's my kids. And he cries with us through every one of those places. And in that, it becomes the glorious crowns that we, we present for him. 
It's interesting. Uh, I've been doing some study of C.S. Lewis. What interesting. He was such a rich thinker. I just want to give you a couple of quotes from, because there's this thing that's always been around that from the beginning of people asking questions. If God is so loving, the atheists and the, uh, the Satanists, they'll always ask you this. Well, if you think God is so good, then why does He allow Christians to suffer? Well, now you've got a good reason. Guess what? We're all going to suffer. But at the end of my suffering, mine is gold. What's yours? Cesspool, buddy. Something like that. And so, C.S. Lewis said this is the whole unit, this is whole thing about why does evil, why, why do the innocents suffer? When we see some of the things that are happening in sex trafficking and abuse and brokenness, and we sit there and say, God. First of all, C.S. Lewis says, the greatest gift first is salvation. All would agree with that, right? The greatest gift given unto humankind is the ability to live forever with God in that place of no tears and no suffering. The second greatest gift is free, free will, your ability to choose. But when you give ability to choose, Evil people who are choosing evil things cause evil things to happen even to good people. Example, drunkenness is a sin. If you drink, you smoke dope, you do, that is a sin. You're practicing sin. And no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom, right? So if you're doing that stuff, you're in sin. Well, guess what? You get in a car and you get a DWI, and now you got to go through all of the traffic restoration. If you've lost your license, you get jailed, Right? God forbid you hit somebody. The innocent person who dies in the DW accident because of your choice to sin has now caused an innocent to pay a price, right? Now, in that process, God can work all things together for good and just leave that in His hands, you know, even though we don't like the consequences of that. C.S. Lewis says it this way, if love is truly real love, when one is forced to love, is that really love? It's not. Some would call it something else. Is a feeling genuine when one is programmed to feel it without understanding or freedom to choose it? It's not. Basically, if he made us robots, this whole thing about free will, why doesn't God step in and take care of this? He will. But right now, he's such a long-suffering, good God that if he came back 100 years ago, you and I wouldn't even be in the kingdom. But he had a plan, and he knew we were going to, he says, I got kids that I have to have, and there's an exact number of Gentiles will come into the kingdom, he says, and then all of Israel will be saved. There's a ticker tag going, like the debt clock. When they look at it, it's like scary how much trillions of dollars we're borrowing. Well, there's another one called the saved kids of the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, you go to read this, and Romans says, when the exact number of Gentiles has come into the kingdom. Whoa. So there's a number. And that, I don't think Jesus knows that. Maybe he does. He doesn't know the day or the hour that Papa says, go get the kids. This is over. We're rolling this thing up. Right? But so this thing about free will is important. Here's another one. C.S. Lewis said this. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. What does he mean there? He says, it's like this. If 
there was no light in the universe, therefore no creatures with eyes could see because it was always dark. Dark would have no meaning. Unpack this. Can you imagine creatures with eyes, but it's so dark you can't see? What he's saying is if there isn't darkness, you wouldn't understand the light. <laughs> if you didn't challenge that the universe had no meaning, then you wouldn't understand that your life and the universe has meaning. <laughs> it's kind of like, let me do it this way. How about, let me simplify it for me. Suppose you're really hungry. Your appetite says, I am really hungry and I am cranky and I need you to do something here, right? Ever, ever been there? Like, several times a day, right? And so if you didn't have appetite and hunger, you wouldn't understand as soon as you have a really great meal and you're full, it's like, ah, I'm satisfied, right? If you never understood loneliness, you wouldn't understand what it means to be in, a, in that place of no loneliness. If you've never been loved, you wouldn't understand what it's like when you're loved. If there wasn't turmoil and a lack of peace, you wouldn't understand when he comes. So when this, this battleground between what we see, what we need, what we feel, God's great will and his wisdom is so phenomenal. Beyond finding out <laughs> the endless riches of God, we read in, in Ephesians 3, he says, Paul says, when I, when I figured this out, I fell to my knees. Here's this wild, very brilliant guy, trained under all the Jewish law, Gamal, he says, when I understood the mystery of the secret in Christ, I fell to my knees. This is unbelievable revelation of the goodness of God. Don't ever doubt him. Don't this, this idea, Amen. the bottom of your, of your sermon outline, I tried to put this as, we may not comprehend the mystery of God's dealings, but we must never doubt his motives. We have all suffered We've all journeyed, and now we're prepared to lose, spend, and sacrifice all that we might gain God and His eternal kingdom. So don't, when, it, when he's, well, is God good? If the devil ever whispers in that, you kick him in the butt and just tell him, look, God is always good, and you're always bad. You lie, you cheat, you steal, you kill. My God has come to give me an abundant life. And guess what? Even in my trial that you're trying to hit me with, he's building me abundant life right now. And one day I will be there with him. And you know where you will be? In the pit. Burning, Burning screaming, and I'm going to be celebrating. And all the people are going to want, this is the one that tormented all the nations? This one? Make him so big. He's so, Lord, come on. Well, let me, some other thoughts I have for us here tonight in the closing moments. I believe that this pain and suffering, we've, th there's a different concept we've got to pick up on this. It's that whole parent and child concept. If you think God did this to me, no, he's the parent that's along with you. There is also, there's evil in the world and evil happens, there's in, and God can work all things together. Amen. And so... There's an interesting scripture in Romans 12, 19. You, I don't even have to turn you there. You know it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. In other words, take your hands off doing revenge. You want to bless somebody with a brick? 
don't do it. In fact, you're supposed to love your enemy. Help them. I said, oh, Lord, now you really want me to be like Christ. Exactly. So there's this place where vengeance is mine. There's a time coming when the wicked will be punished. And I'm telling you what, God's going to be really good at it. He's very loving, kind, but He is severe. He will be just and severe. So you just stop looking with our puny, puny little eyeballs of this view of how long life is and get the bigger view of how big God is. And then trust Him. There's another interesting C.S. Lewis quote. I just love this. A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship Him than some lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his crazy cell. Let me give you a different way. I heard this one time, and it just spoke to me. Um, and I've had people come back from college, and they have this, quote, enlightenment. Oh, my gosh. This grandma raised her granddaughter in the faith. She went off to a liberal college. She comes back, and grandma's sitting on the front porch, rocking. And she says, how's school, child? He says, Grandma, I've been thinking about this, and I've learned some things. Um, I don't believe there's a hell anymore. There's no more hell. Child, just because you don't believe it doesn't put the fire out. So there's something about this revelation that, you know, God is God. <laughs> He's God. And so let's stop trying to play that God and just trust that He's good all the time and that He loves us. Let me uh, finish tonight. There's some really, I've just really enjoyed. Elliot Tepper will be here uh, October 4th. He's a great friend of ours. Don't miss that Sunday. You're really going to, you're going to want to hear him. Um, I've known him for 21, 22 years. He's the head of the Battelle Ministries. The, he's got the evangelical, largest evangelical church in Madrid. We've been there several times. Um, I've done breaking free sessions there on, on his key leadership. Just an amazing guy. He's there in 22 nations. 6,000 people are in their Battelle homes. They are 90-something percent self-funded. They run furniture stores and chicken barbecue houses, and they take people that don't charge one penny. If you're a heroin addict, you're a prostitute, and you're rescued off the streets and you want to make a change, you come to Patel, you got to... You, you detox with the Holy Ghost, and uh, it's, it's just an amazing testimony, and, and we've done deliverances there, and just to see what God does in that house is just phenomenal. I want to share, there's, there's, a, um, there's a book that was written, and the, they've actually written several uh, books about Patel. Um, I think I mentioned maybe a couple weeks ago, when we went there, there's a place, I don't know why the Madrid police do this, but um, they allow drug camps. So there are cinder block drug houses in this area. They call them the drug camps. And there's guys with AK-47s that guard the drugs that are inside the, the block houses. They stand outside with the AK-47. The cops, I don't know how they would do all this, <laughs> okay. But the police said, we would rather have drug addicts 
come there and do their drugs. They're going to do it anyway. We don't want them wandering through the Madrid streets, robbing good people, getting their drugs and doing the, uh, the traffic there. So they let them go to the drug houses. And uh, they're in these camps, and it, it's, it, is, it literally is a place of hell that uh, it, it's so vile there. Um, they, they wrote a book, and it was the Battelle story. It's called, the, one of the books that was written is called The Rescue Shop Within a Yard of Hell. And when you go there and you go inside the camp and you see what goes on in that place, you come out of there feeling literally sick to your stomach the spirit of darkness that's there. Well, they wait for people to get so desperate in their addiction, and then they have the Patel truck outside, the, the, the right within a yard of hell is the rescue shop. So you come there, they give food, they do a house of mercy outreach to the drug addicts there, and he said, when you're ready, come with us, we'll take you to a Patel house. The women go to the Casa de Chica house and the Casa de Hombre house for the guys, and they start the process. And when they get free, it's, it's a really an amazing, an amazing testimony of the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. And so, the, uh, when we were there, it was just uh, quite an enlightenment of what God does. And, and so, I want you to see, there's a, when you think of the journey of some of the, I guess the, what I'll call the generals of the, of the, of the history of the book, you got um, Joseph. What was Joseph's story? You know, he has a dream. Now, his problem was he tells his brothers his dream, right? And, you know, you're going to bow down and worship me, and, you know, and like, oh, yeah, right. And so they, they want to kill him. They throw him in a pit, and then they sell him into slavery. And then what happens is, so he's betrayed by his brothers. He has a prophetic word. <laughs> it, it, you don't share all your prophetic words. I, I don't think that's always wise unless you know the Lord tells you, because it was probably a point of pride, and his pride got him in trouble. So he got humbled, thrown in the pit, sold into slavery. Then he's betrayed again, right? He then ends up in Potiphar's house. He does a good job for Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife betrays him. He didn't do anything immoral with him, but she makes up the story. Now he's thrown in prison. While he's in prison, the baker forgets about him. He's betrayed again. Now, that guy ought to, if anybody... God, every time I find favor with you, I get betrayed. I try to do my best, and here's what happens. I share my prophetic word, and this is what happens. Now, he doesn't do any of that. It's like there's no account, and this book is never shy on sharing the sins, right? Think of David in Bathsheba. So we know that this guy suffered in a place where he trusted God, and then at just the right time, you know what he does. He becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. So we got that. David, we know the story of David as well. So what's your story? Think about your story, what you've been through. We all have a story to tell. Well, let me close by sharing this, and I want to pray for us. It's probably a good way to pray this. There's a... Um, in Proverbs 10.22, when you pray blessing on your kids or your family or friends or anybody, it says, the blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes us rich and adds no sorrow. Would you agree that riches can make you sorrowful? Yes. Look at some of these wealth, most wealthiest people, right? They are the most miserable, right? And so, we don't want to be wealthy or prosperous. Prosperous is an interesting term. There's a lot of things that make you prosperous besides money. 
Um, there's an interesting statement that Elliot makes. Some of you know where Seagate Chapel is. You know where Niels Blake has the chapel on, right? There's a story in here back in the 80s where there were almost, I don't think there were any, but there were no spirit-filled churches or houses in the area. And Seagate Chapel was a firehouse. Some of you know Jimmy Benson. He's with the Lord now. He was the elder there for, I think, 40-something years. And, uh, but there's a account in here that um, Elliot ends up in a mission field somewhere in Asia, runs into a guy. It turns out they figured out they crossed paths at Seagate Chapel during the baptism of the Holy Ghost back in the 80s. And he asks Elliot, now, now Elliot comes here and we do coffee every time he comes in town, at least once or twice a year because he's got a family here. And we always share our war stories and stuff. And, and uh, Elliot told me, he goes, yeah, we would go there. And it was amazing how God would show up. It was one well, of the only place where the Holy Spirit was. We were all like undercover because they're in the denominations. We're all undercover Christians getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. He said, did you realize Derek Prince, D.L. Moody all went there? Seriously. And uh, they all went this when, they, when a lot of that was growing, it was like brand new stuff, right? And uh, so the missionary asked Elliot, he goes, so how's Seagate doing? He goes, well, it's not doing much, you know, small. It's, uh, goes, no, 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 no. What, what happened? And I don't know the history of all that, but apparently at one point, according to Elliot's story, a pastor who preached prosperity, name it, claim it, kind of you know, really like brought that in. And if you're in pursuit of prosperity for what you can get out of the kingdom, as opposed to what's in the kingdom that you're helping to promote, that spirit will leave. Now, I know Pat and Jimmy Benson and his wife and them and Neil and that, certainly no condemnation there at all, ever. Um, but I'm just saying that we, and it's been my prayer, Lord, help us to always protect our pursuit of the kingdom. We're in pursuit of the presence of the king, not the goodies or the privileges that come with knowing the king. They will come, but you will stifle them if your motives are wrong. And we don't ever want to go there, right? And so let me, um, there's one other I want to read with you. Some of you know the story of um, the man who suffered in, the Romanian prison. Wormbrand? Mm-hmm. And then I'll read one more from... Uh, there's this account of... In, in the prison where he was being beaten and tortured, he uh, regularly would get in his cell, and the cell walls would illuminate like gold and silver. And um, he was concerned that if he was delivered, that he would miss this closeness he had found uh, while he was uh, in that particular jail cell su suffering for Christ. So there's, a, there's something about this... Um, Suffering that is so precious that is, a, is gifted by God. God permitted it. Um, 
You remember the statement of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a great modern Russian author, Nobel laureate. He endured in suffering and persecution in the prison camps in the Russian gulag. The meaning of the earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to and are prospering in this development of the world and all of our goodies. And I think there's a danger, especially in the United States. Remember where he warned us in Deuteronomy 31? Be careful when you become rich and fat that you don't forget God. Amen. And that's been the pattern all over. And, you, and I believe it's, that's why we certainly desire our country to be blessed and employment to go. And, but if we get to the place and we think it's us in our humanistic you know, enduring American spirit. Okay, great. But it's God in us, That's right. right? It is not anything. And it could be the blessing of our president opening the door to bless Israel. And as a result, he follows his word in, in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless Israel. And right? So we ever lose track of it. It isn't Trump. It's God who's got Trump in his hands. And so we ever get that out of whack, we will lose big time. And so don't ever... You know, we don't celebrate and honor things that are not godly. Let me, let me finish this. Uh, we shared this at men's group on Monday night, actually, when we were going through um, the book of Timothy. But he closes the book of the cost of the kingdom with the same scripture we read the other night in 2 Timothy 4. Remember when Paul is about ready to be beheaded, and he tells Timothy in the letter there that I know my time is up. But if you ever want to study something, you can actually go visit it. But the Mamertine prison in Rome was famous for its torture of prisoners. And Paul and Peter were in prison there. And so I can remember visiting, uh, Elliot says, I remember visiting the Mamertine prison in Rome. It was where Paul was last in prison before his martyrdom. It's not a big prison. In fact, it's a really little small stony hole ground in the hole in the ground with two chambers. One distant source of one natural light barely illuminates the cells below, damp and dark and cold. In fact, one of the books I read is they shackled prisoners in the upright position. They left the dead bodies in there and the rats and everything. Most people went stark raving mad within two weeks of being in that place. But Paul led the jailers to the Lord. He sang praises because he was not in the cell. He was in another kingdom, right? And so he said, um, Apostle Paul rested his head before he was beheaded during the reign of Nero. I can see Paul shivering. He says this quote in 2 Timothy 4. Remember, Timothy, bring my coat before you leave Troas because it's cold here in the winter. There's something tragic yet beautiful in the end of Paul's natural life and ministry. After more than 30 years of sacrifice, persecutions, beatings, shipwrecks, snake bites, imprisonments, Paul finds himself alone in a dark hole, abandoned by the most co-laborers and friends that he served in ministry with. From his prison, he writes this to Timothy. Timothy, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them were Phagilius and Hermogenes, Demas has deserted me. Crescens, Titus, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. They've all deserted me. Let it not be counted against them. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. 
I fought the good fight, and I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, but not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. That's something. See, remember Paul, remember I, I, I shared with you in 2 Corinthians 12 about him take, being taken into the third heaven. And he said, I saw things that I'm not allowed to tell you. So marvelous and so good you can't utter them. Paul had that hope, and I pray we can get that through the washing of this word. We get that hope in us that there is a day that is coming of what he's prepared for us. Paul may have been alone and dark and ready to be martyred by Nero, but he was in a place of great peace. The kingdom was in him. It was not what was outside of him. So let's stand. And Lord, we, we know that there's so much more to the revelation of this. But I pray that you move us into a place of the revelatory love of God, that if these things are actually the gifts of the love of God for us, because you're a good father, you're always a good father. Your motives are always good for your children. There's nothing, if, a, if an evil father can give good gifts to the children, how much more would the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the comforter, the one who comes alongside, the one who tells us the truth, comes and given to us by the Father himself in Luke chapter 11. So, Lord, we thank you. I pray an impartation tonight those that are listening by live stream, those who will, those that are here tonight, may we meditate on this truth that your love for us and the trials and tribulations that we go through are all part of the glory that you have planned for us. Let us never stray from that, God. Help us. And we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here.